When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner. Well, good morning and a happy new year. How's Christmas? Any scandal, any stories to share? Coming up today, back to the future. Get money for your glass bottles as the new scheme finally launches. Also, it's that time of year when we try to put our best foot forward. What New Year's resolutions do primary students have? And flu, COVID and RSV, they have unfortunately struck many of us over the Christmas period. What's the state of play in emergency units as a result? Well, apparently 538 people are in hospital with flu at the moment. More so than COVID. When you call 0818 300 103 is my number. You can text, you can WhatsApp 083 30 10 103. Powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. So let's see what's on the front pages this morning. And starting with the Irish Independent. Landlords will need more tax breaks says Minister. That's going to be a popular headline. Landlords need more tax breaks. This from Minister Dara O'Brien, who is responsible for housing. And he's referring to the tax measures in the 2024 budget, whereby landlords can get 20% relief on €3,000 of rental income. That will increase in 25, in 26 and in 27 but he talks about this being further strengthened to keep good landlords in the market, provided they agree to stay renting their property for more than 12 months. That's on the Irish Independent, moving to the Irish Times. And a very sad development, a trend that we need to get under control. The number of people who died on Irish roads last year, 100 and 84. And apparently, during 2023, there were 47 fewer Gordhi policing the roads by the end of the year than had been in place at the start of it. And these figures have come from the Department of Justice and have been analysed by the road safety group PARC, and we hope to hear from them on that analysis later. But there would appear on the face of it to be a correlation between fewer Gorthy on the road and a higher fatality rate. And the junior minister with responsibility for roads, Jack Chambers, is quoted in the Irish Times saying enforcement isn't at a level of strength that it should be and it needs to improve. And if you're Drew Harris, the commissioner, it's just one extra headache after... Uh, A very horrible year where he had lost the confidence of the rank and file in that infamous vote by the GRA, then the riots in Dublin leading to the opposition losing confidence in him. And with the number of people going through Temple Moor in decline, where are these extra Gordy for the roads going to come from? That's the challenge he has to answer. Ryan Tuberty is pictured on the front of many newspapers this morning because he's making his debut in London on British Radio today. And of course, he's very much looking forward to that, as well he would. Misinformation, a threat to elections. That's the front page story on the Irish Examiner this morning. And 
quoted in many newspapers today is Minister Eamon Ryan, the leader of the Green Party, who talks about how he was the subject of two false stories during 2023. And one of them, he says, concerns the Midlands and Offaly. That he was responsible for somebody losing their bike franchise. It was absolutely accepted as gospel, he says. Complete and utter nonsense untrue. And so the theory was that his uh, relative had received this bike franchise, presumably in, in Lochborough, it doesn't say, um, but that the person who had received it was not, in fact, connected to Mr. Ryan, but nevertheless, the other story went viral online in 2021. So he says the antidote is to invest in good quality journalism and he is not going to spend his time battling on social media against claims that have no merit. Well, I think there's probably more in that example where, yes, the person may not have been a relative. In fact, Mr. Rye may have had no hand act nor part in the decision. But the loss of the bank uh, bike franchise by the person who had been doing it for so, so long, I think that was a very sore point locally. Maybe not one to stoke up two years later. Let's go inside the papers because there is a local story that we hope to tell you a lot more about this week. And it concerns little Joey, who is only two years of age and he is the son of Natalie and Tommy Conway from Tullamore. And he has had two traumatic years in his short life, more than many of us may have in a lifetime. So when he was just eight months old, little Joey was diagnosed with something called portal vein thrombosis. And it's very rare and it's very serious. And it can lead to something called portal hypertension, which can be life-threatening. And during the first episode of bleeding, the risk of death is as high as 40%. So he needs treatment. And like so many other unfortunate children, the price of this treatment is extortionate and it will see him going to Chicago and then a management plan will be put in place thereafter and they are trying to raise money, not just the family, but they've got a whole army of volunteers and supporters behind them and the surgery would have a 90% chance of success in restoring Joey's system and curing him of all other symptoms. So you can pick up the Irish Independent today and see a picture of Joey and Natalie. And we wish them the best in their campaign. And you can find out more um, by listening to Midlands 103 as the week goes on. Starting again at 50, the Irish Independent builds on Ryan Tuberty's reinvention by looking at other people who, past the half century, decided to throw in what they were doing and do something completely and utterly different. For instance, there is a lady who was a mum of three who had been working in insurance for 38 years of age, uh, for 38 years rather, and then decided to pack it in before her pension to start selling Lucky Horseshoes. Anne Healy was 54 when she decided to do this in 2019. And at the time she knew nothing about setting up a business so eventually she got the advice she needed 
Beattie's Good Luck Horseshoes was born. And here we are four years later, nearly five years later, and she has her horseshoes on sale in 10 shops in the United States. And thousands of them have sold here in Ireland. And social media has been very effective in getting her message out to the diaspora. Social media, it is that double-edged sword. It can be fantastic for some things and horrendous for others. Barbara Edwards is another person who's highlighted because she, at the age of 55, recently graduated from college. And when she was in school, the teacher always made her sit at the back of the class, wouldn't allow anybody sit beside her for two and a half years, and at nine years of age she was told she was a Lamadon. Anyway, having had that horrible experience, she went and graduated from college for the first time at 55. And then there's William Edgehill, who is from County Offaly, and he also made big changes to his life back in 2020, having spent three decades working as a hotelier in London. He came to Ireland to be with his family, took stock of his life, and decided that living on the seventh generation family farm that he would go through the process of being ordained as an Anglican minister. And it was a big adjustment. He remembers going back to London and speaking to a neighbour who was in her late 70s who hadn't seen anybody at all during the lockdowns. But nobody visited her and it terrified him that one day he could be in a situation like that. And London, for all of the bright lights and big city and the glamour, when you're in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, when you're able-bodied, it could be a very lonely place in later life. So, that's in the Irish Independent, if you wish to read more. Crystal ball time. The daft.ie house price report says prices rose 3.5% on average across the country in 2023, and they expect further increases this year, but a more stable market. Ronan Lyons, who's the economist with Daft.ie, he seems to be a glass-half-full kind of guy. He reckons the economy is stabilising, that there's a bit more certainty now, with the likelihood of energy prices coming down in the months ahead, and eventually interest rates starting to come down. It's a nice positive piece, although not as good news if you're somebody reaching for that first rung on the property ladder rather than somebody who already has a house under your bum. Finally, then, um, New Year's resolutions. Apparently, they are a waste of time, according to Dr. Murish Houston in the Irish Times. His advice is don't bother. 62% of people feel uncomfortably pressured into setting a New Year's resolution. Only one in ten implement a lasting change. And he says it's because very often... New Year's resolutions tend to be self-critical and they come from this magical thinking that one big change will transform your life. And most of them concern health. How many are going to sign up for gym memberships this week? And have you cleared out whatever sweets and chocolates were around for Christmas? Has all the alcohol been consumed? Dry January! There are many articles as well showing how your body will change and improve even after one week of dry January, never mind four. But anyway, what is a New Year's resolution? 
something that goes in one year and out the other. The name you trust with the news you need. Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Midlands 103. The new deposit return scheme comes into effect here on the 1st of February. So this will see a 15 cent levy added to every aluminium can or plastic bottle sold in Ireland. Uh, By the way, it'll be 25 cent for bottles over 500 mils. And then if you return your empties to what are called reverse vending machines, you will get that money back. So you will notice in many supermarkets, shops and other venues, a huge amount of retrofitting going on where they are installing these machines, getting them commissioned in time for the deadline on the 1st of February. Well, let's hear from some local people who are trying to make everything add up by that deadline. Alex Cleland runs Cleland's Supermarket in Abbey Leaks in County Leash. Morning, Alex. Morning, Will. How are you? Very well, thank you. And a happy new year to you as well. What are your thoughts? Um, I think it's an absolute farce, to be completely honest with you. It's um, very poorly thought out. Um, it's okay for the for the larger multiples that um, that are cash rich. They can afford to buy the machines without having to worry about interest and loans and so on. Whereas a smaller retailer like ourselves and thousands of us around the country, um, we have to we'd have to borrow the money, pay interest on that, and there's no we won't see a return on that investment for a minimum of ten years. So how so, much is the machine at? Um, they vary between eleven to sixteen thousand, depending on on the size of the machine that you have to have for your store. So if you don't have one, you can do it manually. It just increases the cost anyway, um, with regard to labour and and trying to manage it. Um, but I mean, it's just it's just a pure cost. I mean, in my opinion, this should have been done through the local county councils, where you have machines centrally located. We have bottle banks all over the place. So they could easily be located with that. Customer, come, A person comes along, puts in the bottles and the cans, and instead of getting a receipt out of it that, would, that they can only use in the shop where they that own the machine, um, they could easily put on, done linked with the revenue, and it's put onto their, uh, their tax allowance, their tax credits. I mean, it's a very simple mechanism, but the government didn't look at that. They foisted this on the retailers and said, right, well, you deal with our problem. And they, they, they impose that cost on the rest of us. Now, you mentioned payback being a number of years. How many years? Uh, it'd take approximately 10 years before you actually get a return on that investment. Well, that's a 10% return annually, and you're not going to get that in the bank. No, but it's a co- the cost. I'm saying it's going to take 10 years for you to get the return. I'm talking about return as in just break even with regard okay, to the cost right. of the machine. Right, and now I'm with so you. That's all I'm talking about. So, and I mean, and how does that come back to you? How does that come back to you, Alex? Is there a, um, a, a portion yeah. of the amount that goes to the retailer? Well, I mean, basically, it's a, it's a tax. It's a tax on the, another tax that's been added to the consumer by the government, and um, it's we collect it on behalf of the government, same as we do with uh, with that. And that money goes then to uh, to the revenue, and we get a percentage of that back, um, which is very very small very small. I mean, it doesn't cover the cost of the interest that you're paying on the machine or the loan or the loan that you get for the machine. And it doesn't cover the cost of, um, of the people that come and collect 
the plastic, uh, the plastic bottles and cans. It's it's just incredibly, incredibly poorly thought out. Is there any I mean, argument said, that it drives footfall to your business? No, absolutely none whatsoever. Unless it's a case that if you don't have one of the machines, you are at a disadvantage because anyone coming to return the bottles and the cans, they can only use the voucher that's printed out in your store, provided you have one of those machines. So if it's a case that you're a retailer and you're not big enough or you haven't got the cash, you there's absolutely no way in the world you can afford to buy one of them. You're, you're already at a loss because people will go, people can only use those vouchers in the shops that own the machine. So therefore, if they come to you or if they go to someone else that has one of those machines and they return their cans and the bottles, they have to go into that shop to, to use that voucher yes. and on whatever that, it is. And just to be so clear then, so the, the levy of 15 cent or 25 in the case of the larger bottles that has yeah. to be added even if the retailer doesn't have the return machine. Yeah, if you, have, if you sell the bottles that have the logo on it, um, the, the return logo on it, you have to charge that. You're, you've, you've got to charge it regardless. You've absolutely no choice. It's a price that's been put on the bottle. I mean, the government are given, they claim it's going to take six months to flush out the older stock that's on the shelves. There's absolutely no way in the world it's going to take six months to flush that out. It's going to take a longer time. It's going to take at least 12 to 18 months before that old stock is gone and they get the new stock in with the logo on it. So, I mean, it's, it's a complete nut of shambles. And, and just to protect shambles, the consumer during that period, Alex, will the old bottles yeah. be sold at the old price and the new bottles at the new price or will they all be at the higher price? So they'll have to be all of them because, because you're talking about it's a, every, single, every single product has a unique barcode and that barcode can't be changed just because there's a specific logo on the packaging. So therefore, all the, product, all the product has to be sold at that barcode, despite the fact that the consumer will have to go back and drop in those, those plastic, and, and, uh, plastic containers and cans into the machine. But they'll only, get the re- they'll only get the money for the stuff that they actually has the logo on it. I should point out at this stage, we had invited Minister Pippa Hackett of the Green Party to join us on the programme. This morning, she had agreed yeah. uh, prior to the new year. Unfortunately, she is not available this morning. But I do want to bring into the conversation David Walsh Chemis, who is the founder and managing director of Bally Kilcavan Brewing Company in County Leash. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Very well, thank you. So what's your, uh, how are you affected by this? Because I would have thought um, if you're producing are you selling do you have point of sale as well no the production basically works that we have to we have to be part of the scheme so we're producing some beers in glass bottles which are not part of the scheme but also some beers in cans which Mm. are part of the scheme any beer that's in a can has to have as of the 1st of February will have to have that return logo on it we've actually had to change our barcodes on all our products so that you have a differentiation between old stock which we have to get rid of pretty quickly because um, it's not allowed to be part of the scheme and the new stock which has the deposit on it. Now, I mean, I have to say, in general, we're in favour of the principle of the scheme. Like, we want to see as much aluminium being recycled, as much plastic being recycled as possible. Kind of like Alec, we would feel that the scheme has been designed for, in our case, the big producers. So your large brewing companies, your large soft drinks companies, they've kind of shoehorned us small producers into the scheme because we have to be part of it. So for us, there's a financial cost to it. We have to pay to be a part of the scheme. There's a cost per can for every can that we produce as well. 
it means... The cost per can in the in, logo and barcode, is it? No, it's actually just we have to pay a fee to the scheme operators for every can that we put out. Now, it's a relatively small fee in the grand scheme of things, but... It's going to cost us about 80 cents extra per case of cans that we put out. And maybe that doesn't sound like a lot, but the margin on a case of cans is about €2.50. So it's a significant chunk of the already decreasing margins that we would have on a case of cans going out. We then have an administrative cost as well because we have to literally manage every single um, can that goes out. We have to make a return to the scheme operators to show how many cans we've sold into the Irish market, how many cans we've sold into export markets and things like that. Um, we then have to pay over the deposits to uh, to the scheme operator. There's a, a reasonable credit uh, term on that, but actually we may not get paid by the uh, the stockers that we're putting the cans into until after we've had to pay over. So there's a cash flow issue as well. So just to clarify, what's the carrot and stick in your case? There's no carrot in particular, apart from the fact that we want to be doing the right thing by making sure that everything's being recycled. If you want to sell, in our case, beer in uh, aluminium cans, you have to be part of the scheme. If you want to be part of the scheme, you have to pay to be part of the scheme. You have to pay for each can that goes out. That's just the reality of it. So business as usual is the case for doing it. Yes, exactly. Yes, if we And there is an option for us, and we'll, we're going to have to significantly look at it, is just to stop producing cans for the domestic market. We can still produce them for the export market, but we could just stop producing cans for the Irish market and move everything into bottles. But in your product portfolio, how, would, how important would cans be relative? We're to roughly a third, um, a third draft, a third bottles and a third can. Um, there are some markets that prefer cans. So generally, urban centres, like if we're trying to sell into Dublin, generally consumers in Dublin prefer to drink out of a can. The export market is completely based on cans and we can't just produce cans for the export market. It's not a big enough market for us. So what we do is we produce cans, hopefully we get a few orders in and we send some of those cans abroad. But we need to have that base of Irish cans first before we can have stock to be able to send abroad. So if we decided not to produce cans anymore, you're shutting off at least two markets. You're shutting off kind of the urban market and you're shutting off your potential to do an ad hoc export market. Alex referred earlier to the councils, the local authorities perhaps, being a better choice as a a bring point. Mm. What would have been a better approach uh, to industry from your point of view? I think, I mean, this is the problem... As I say, in general, we agree with the principles of the scheme. We want to see aluminium being recycled. So if you're going to be part of the scheme, um, I mean, obviously, we'd have liked to not have to pay anything to be part of the scheme. We'd, we could, you know, we could cope with a smaller fee maybe than is there. But the fee that's there for us as small producers for the volume that we produce, it's just too big for the for the volume that we produce. If you're a Coca-Cola and you're producing millions and millions of units, you probably don't you even see it. Scale, you yeah. do, exactly. But in that's your case, thing. it's a third of your margin. It is a third of our margin going out. Yeah. Then there's also the administrative cost again, if you're Coca-Cola, you have someone in the office dealing with that. I mean, for my case, that's going to be me sitting in an office. We have to put an extra line on every invoice that goes out because you're selling 24 cans of something. You're also selling 24 deposits. That's the extra line on the invoice. Then you've got your stock management. Then you've got your return going into the scheme operator and things like that. So there is extra extra administrative work involved in that, which is a cost on my time. You know, if we were bigger, we'd be employing someone to do that. So, Alex, at this stage, is it a case of grin and bear it or um, through retailers, is there a movement to oppose and to amend? Oh, we're wasting our time, to be totally honest. Um, there's plenty there's plenty of retailers lobbying the government to try and explain to them that there is a better way of doing this. And like they, would, they were saying there, like all of us want to be able to get people to recycle. I mean, that's good for the environment. It's, it's better. It's better for the economy. There's no absolutely no doubt about that. But the unfortunate thing is, with regard to retail and small businesses in Ireland, 
we get shafted by everything the government are trying to do at the moment. I mean, all they need to do is consult with us and come up with a better plan before they make this big announcement. And they only make these announcements just for votes. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, if there's a real risk to small businesses at the minute in Ireland. <coughs> Excuse me. There's a huge risk to small businesses in Ireland. We've had the, the introduction of the new minimum wage, which is, which is just over 12.5%. It's about 12.5% of a hike initially, but in, act, in reality, it's closer to about maybe 15% of a hike because you've got the sick pay days, you've got the increase in employment PRSI. Like there's, there's that cost. Now you've got the cost of the, the, the deposit return scheme, the return thing. Like there's so many things that have been foisted on top of us this year. It puts small businesses under extreme pressure. The bigger guys, they can absorb that. They're big enough. Like you say, they've got economy of scale. They can absorb that. But the, the rest of us small guys, like we're struggling. We're struggling to meet these costs. And the, the consumer, at the end of the day, the consumer is going to pay the cost of it. So prices are going to go up. And they're going to go up across the board everywhere. It doesn't matter whichever store you go into, the prices are going to grow because every single business has to cover those costs. Otherwise, they don't stay in business. Um, so it could be a case, I remember reading an article many, many years ago uh, about the UK and was talking about clone towns. And clone towns are basically towns that are all the same, where you've got retail, uh, retail centres that are opened up outside of the towns. So the towns have basically died. They've died to death because they've all gone to retail parks. The same thing is happening in Ireland and has been happening progressively over the last 15, 20 years. So you're seeing smaller shops close down because they can't stay in business anymore. I mean, this is just another, this is just another nail in the coffin for small businesses in Ireland where they've been put under extreme pressure. And people, like, the consumer will only look at the price on the shelf and say, oh, we're getting, this is rip-off Ireland, as that, that thing went through the media for a long time, years ago. And that same thing will come about again. They're not looking at the fact that the, the only place the consumer sees the price is on the shelf. But yet small, excuse me, small producers and small re retailers are going to get absolutely, are getting screwed over. And the government are taking nothing into consideration. They say that, oh, they're, well, their support's there for you. That's absolute rubbish. To get the supports, you have to jump through hoops. And at the end of it, you might not even get those supports. They say, no, you don't qualify. So where do you yeah, go sometimes policies contradict each other. On one hand, you've got the European Central Bank raising interest rates to try and stem inflation. On the other, minimum wage increase, this being another cost, all being passed on to consumers. <laughs> Ultimately, it'll push prices up. Um, but then on the political side, we have obviously a real incentive to uh, recycle and need to do it. So. David, do you have maybe some sympathy for policymakers that it's a no-win situation? Is there ever a good time to do it? There probably wasn't really. I mean, I, I suppose because of the cost of living crisis and everything else, as, as Alec was saying, minimum wages and everything else, I mean, in terms of our production costs, we've seen huge increases in the last year, like everything from energy, packaging, you know, cardboard boxes, things like that, that you don't really think about as a, as a consumer when you're buying something off the shelf. All of those things are massively increased. Um, so, yeah, it's probably not an ideal time to bring it in. But at the same stage, on the other side, you know, if you're going to bring something in that's a sustainability measure, you want to bring it in as quickly as possible. There's no mm. point in waiting. Mm. Gentlemen, appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much. Thanks, sir. Thanks, sir. David Walsh Chemis is founder and managing director of Bally Kilcavan Brewing Company in County Leash. Alex Cleland runs Cleland's Supermarket in Abbey Leagues. The Midlands most listened to radio show, Midlands Today. Midlands.
Texts in response to the deposit return scheme. Will, while this is a good idea, people are paying for their recycling bin at home, says Francis in Mount Mellick. So charging a levy on these items, that's just another excuse for taxation. I get the bus to do my grocery shopping in Port Leash. So does the government expect me to bring the bag of recycling on the bus? Hmm. And another caller says the system is used in Denmark, has been done for years and it works. So maybe people should find out more before they knock it. And another caller again making that point that you pay for your recycling bin. Why then would you want to bring your items to a supermarket? Well, because you're going to pay an extra 15 cent on a tin and therefore you will want to get that 15 cent back. But yes, I agree, it's more movement of the items. Will, I'm paying €7.50 plus €5.65 service charge to have my green bin taken every month. What more do they want? asks Thomas. Another person with a big angry emoji says it's taxing you to recycle. And just take one more on this for now. Will, why doesn't it apply to all cans, such as dog food cans, for instance? Good question from Sean. As I said, we had initially agreed that Minister Pippa Hackett would be on the programme this morning to discuss. Unfortunately, she is no longer available. Hopefully will be at a later date. Let's turn our focus to 2023, to the 47 fewer members of the Gorthi who were policing the road at the end of the year than at the beginning of it. And at that same time, the number of people who lost their lives on Irish roads increased by almost 20%, 184 individuals and 184 families who will be grieving. Leo Legio is a member of the Irish Road Victims Association, which was founded, of course, in Mullingar by Donna Price. Leo, good morning. Good morning, Will. Happy New Year to you. I think people have suspected for some time that maybe Garda enforcement wasn't as visible as it had been. This would certainly seem to bear out uh, that observation. What are your thoughts? Uh, it's absolutely, you know, it's, it's, not just, it's not just 2023. It's the last number of years the Garda numbers have been down and you'd be lucky to see a Garda car on the, on the road. I know some people, some politicians will say that they have seen them, but the checkpoints are very few and far between. I seen one over the Christmas. Okay, a big one, all right, but that was it. And just to play devil's advocate on this, Leo, we have mm-hmm. a network of the go-safe speed vans. So to what extent are they a substitute for the Garda out with the manual speed check? Well, I know the Garda have other jobs and there's just not enough of them out there and they can't be everywhere. So it's not it's not the Garda's fault. It's politicians, the members of the diet playing politics with, with people's lives and just not putting the money into it. Not, they're not protecting their citizens like, the, like it's their duty to. And uh, camera technology, well, is going to take over. It has to be out there. It just has to be more of them. 
Yeah, I know, it, for instance, on the M7, at long last, maybe 20 years after the UK did it, we finally have the average speed cameras uh, yeah. for a stretch in County Tipperary. Um, yeah. uh, technology can play a part. I'm sure AI will eventually uh, enhance policing, but that'll take time. What would you like to yeah. see done now so that 2024 reverses this tragic trend? Uh, I'd like to see I'd like to see more cameras rolled out. I'd like to see. I'd like to, first of all, we all have our own responsibilities. We all have to take responsibilities for our driving. We'll all, we'll have people that will listen, and we just we'll have those people that just will they're never going to listen until they're forced to listen. TDs, members of the dial, like I said, need to stop playing politics with people's lives. Like there's no there's no one magic bullet. I agree with that. Yes, there's no magic bullet, but there are a number of things that can be done straight away. Penalty points need to be increased. People have to have the fear of losing their license. If they lose their license, if they have that fear, like at the moment you had to be caught four times to lose your license. But if they increase the penalty points, losing it after being caught, if they caught once, they'll think twice about doing it again. Guardi, the government have to invest in the Guardi. They have to invest in property, proper equipment and, and numbers. And judges have to start handing out it's tougher penalties. They have to have to the sentencing and the in the courts are, are just ridiculous. Like getting ten months, two years suspended sentences, and people are being killed. The maximum is something like four and a half years for a person being killed. And the judges are accepting ridiculous excuses. And people should think of this before they get into behind the wheel of the car. Uh, I think sentencing in general is a subject that many people would have views on, not just for road safety issues. Exactly, exactly. The the numbers are there, the statistics, and I hate talking about statistics. These are, like you said, they're people's lives, they're they're human beings, they're family members, and it's heartbreaking this time of the year, like 184 people missing at at the dinner table at Christmas this year, and I just pray to God in 2024, we're not here at the end of 2024, not talking about the same thing next this time next year. Well, there seems to be a, a mood to change. At least Jack Chambers has talked many times in recent months about reducing speed limits, for instance, for having mm-hmm. a review on regional roads, perhaps reducing uh, some limits from 100 kilometres per hour down to 80 kilometres per hour. Um, add into that that many cars these days have dash cams, so securing footage and evidence is easier. Um, would you be optimistic about the year ahead? I have to be. Like Miss Minister Chambers, he, 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 some of the things he's been saying, uh, I, I like, and I just hope they're able to follow through. But like I said, sadly, there's, there's members in that dial that are just, they don't want to see change. Anything that's got to do with road safety, they they always have an objection to it, and I'm 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 begging with begging them just to to come on board, just do everything they can to help Mr. the Minister Chambers and stop playing politics with this. We want like I've often said, and I've said it loads of times in there. we're members of a club that nobody we didn't want to join, and we don't want to see that club getting any bigger. And I just, I just want the, the ministers to, to get on board with this and do everything they can. And with Minister, Minister Chambers, 
changes. I think we can see some progress com- coming ahead, but then again, it, it's down to the people and the drivers themselves. If they're not going to listen, what can you do? Leo, the guardy can't, the, the guard, the cannot be everywhere, you know what I mean? So something has to be there to encourage them to let the people to listen. It's a very raw and a very real issue for you and for Donna and for all the members of the Irish Road Victims Association. Thank you very much for taking our call. No problem. Thank you. Leo Legio. And just on that, Minister Chambers says perceptions around enforcement is a central factor in how the public perceive legislation and policy. So it is really important that it is strengthened. And his opposite number uh, in the Department of Justice, Helen McEntee, She said in October, we are trying to do everything we can to increase the number of people working in the roads units. But despite those efforts, we've seen a decrease by 47 in the number of Gorthy policing the roads from January of 23 to December. Love the Midlands? Love Midlands 103. Regarding road safety, caller says, I absolutely agree that judges have to wake up and impose stiffer sentences. It's not just little boy or girl racers. I see people, frankly, in their 90s who should be checked for their driving abilities. And there is a place in Mullingar that is used for racing on a regular basis. And I think the Gorthy should be there more often. Not that I blame them, When you hold the keys of a car in your hand, you are holding the lives of people and there should be fewer empty chairs at the table this year, please. Well, unfortunately, 2023 set a very negative trend for road safety. 184 lives lost. That's up 20% on the previous year. Now, still on the agenda today... Increased levels of flu and COVID expected in the coming weeks. What is the best advice from the HSE? Also, reinventing yourself in your 50s. And New Year's resolutions. Are they worth the effort? Apparently, only 1 in 10 succeed. But if you are planning to be that 1 in 10, what is your resolution? 083 30 10 103 on text and WhatsApp, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota, in Tullamore. Now, taking a look into the crystal ball for property values in the year ahead, the latest report from daft.ie makes for positive reading if you are a home owner. Um, less so, of course, if you're somebody who's trying to reach for that first rung on the ladder. The average price across the country increased 3.4%, but that was quite uneven. In Dublin, for instance, values only went up 2%, I say only, whereas in Limerick, they climbed 9%. Let's pick the brain of Pat Davitt. He is the chief executive of the Institute of Professional Auctioneers and Valuers. He himself is based in County Westmeath. Pat, good morning and a happy new year. Good morning, Will, and a very happy new year to you too. Ronan Lyons. Great to talk to you again in 2024. Indeed. Ronan Lyons of Trinity College, he's the economist with daft.ie and he's reasonably positive and it's nice to start the year on a positive note. He talks about the economy perhaps being more stable, that uh, some of this cost of living crisis should abate, energy prices coming down, dare we say even 
uh, interest rates coming down maybe in the second half of the year, albeit slowly, all of which will paint a picture of further inflation in property values. Would you disagree with his analysis? Um, I think it's very difficult to disagree with him because what he's saying is is practical and what's happening in the marketplace at the moment. So it's very difficult to disagree with him. Uh, on the interest rates, I believe interest rates will come down uh, earlier than the second half of 2024. And I can't see any reason why this should stay up there. I know there's an argument between uh, the cost of housing and interest rates in relation to if the interest rates are lower, more people can borrow more money. But at the end of the day, there are an awful lot of people who have mortgages who find it very difficult to pay the mortgage rate at the moment. And one wonders why they should have to pay huge mortgage rates when people with no mortgages are not adding anything to the inflation, only maybe making it increase. So I think that definitely it looks like the mortgage rates are going to uh, start falling quicker, I think, than the end of the second half of 2024. Um, and yes, in some cases, it will uh, lead, I think, to people being able to borrow more money uh, and maybe get on the housing ladder. But I suppose there's a couple of things that Ronan hasn't actually mentioned. And uh, some of them are new housing this year in 2023, sorry, uh, is over, going to be over 30,000. It's going to be somewhere in the region of 31,500 or 32,000 new homes, mm. which is a big plus. Uh, This, for the first time since the figures were set up in 2010, the property price register, there will be over 60,000 sales on it this year. Um, Now, I know prior to 2005 and 6 and 7, there would have had been more than that on the property price register, but it wasn't recorded at that particular time. But at the same time, uh, this 60,000 is a figure, a magical figure in one way, because we've never gone beyond it since 2010. So there are more properties being sold. And while Daft and My Home, etc., would say that the property numbers have gone down, but all of right up from 2010, 2000, and probably 15, 16, even maybe even 17, a lot of properties were advertised two and three times by different agents on these uh, property portals. And one wonders if that's where all the high figures were coming from. So... It's um, perhaps, but also going back to basic economics, law of supply and demand, there must be a point at which once supply exceeds a certain level, the prices will begin to flatline and and then fall. So if we're building 30,000 units a year, maybe more in 2024, hopefully, do you expect we might reach that point in the 12 months ahead? Um, I think... uh, I don't believe we'll reach it in 2024. Uh, and what has, I suppose what has happened as well as that is that there is a lot of people coming back to Ireland who have been working in America, Australia, all these places and coming back with money to buy properties. Um, there are obviously a lot of uh, other people coming into the country as well to work and they have to be housed. So like, it's, it's not as simple as where we were in 2000 and probably five, six, and indeed all through the 10 to 20s. Uh, if there's more people in the country, there's more people who wants to buy housing. And even though we are building more housing than what we were building, uh, but you must remember yes. back as far as 2006 and seven, where we built 93,000 houses per year. And it wasn't too long after that until we had 300,000 houses too many in the country. So, okay, so while the supply side might be increasing, so too is the demand because of those reasons you mentioned, uh, migration and, and so on. Politically, though, there is a, 
an appetite to see stabilisation and in some cases a, a, a fall in house prices. Mary Lou MacDonald uh, famously before Christmas saying the average price in Dublin which is about €430,000 at present should fall to around the €300,000 mark. What sort of policy intervention, if any, could achieve that? Well, I can't see where that's going to be helpful from what Mary Lou says. Uh, it's helpful to people who want to get on the property ladder. But for people who has bought a house, we'll say prior to that, and has paid 453000 and if that's the average price, then they've paid a lot more than that in many, many cases. Uh, they're immediately going to be in negative equity. So I, I don't see what she's saying. I don't see how, how the economics of it works. Uh, granted, house prices, if there's more stock on the market than there are people to buy them, I don't care what anybody says, and I think you're 100% correct on what you say, that it's going to make a difference to the house prices. So house prices are going to come down. It's like everything else. It's, it's, it's supply and demand. Uh, until we get into that situation, I don't see the house prices changing an awful lot unless the building costs of new homes come down. And that is one thing that really is, and they seem to have been driven up by inflation and building costs and the war in Ukraine. So yes, if Ronan Lyons is right and these costs come down, I think you could see the price of new houses coming down because I said they certainly have plateaued in many parts of the country. So I think that is one thing. But uh, are we perhaps prices, maybe going to lose our love of bricks and mortar eventually where... Uh, for instance, we were in Kilbegan uh, just before Christmas and we were looking at, uh, well, I mean, they were known as Chenette Sheds for years, but now they're Chenette Superior Space. They create what are not sheds in any way resembling what we would associate a shed. It's a, it's a space that's insulated and warm. Uh, log cabins, for instance, as well, offer something similar. Uh, modular builds are becoming more and more part of the house building process anyway. So could these newer solutions perhaps have an impact on not necessarily house prices, but what we consider a house to be? Well, I think that uh, I think there's no doubt about that. At Jeanette, I do a fantastic job with their on their modular homes. Uh, so I think that from 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 that type of build, I think a lot of people will look at that in the future because they're going to be a lot cheaper than buying uh, or building a conventional home. Um, so I think, and, and, and I would certainly encourage that as well, uh, but like, to have a family in one of those properties is probably not, it's, it's okay for single people or maybe a couple or something, but after that, I think you still have to look to the conventional house for a family and a first home that uh, first people, first uh, time buyers want to buy. Mm. Um, I think that the the schemes that the government have brought in with the new home scheme and the first time buyer scheme, I think, are very helpful to be able to get people onto the onto the onto the ladder. And I think there are many people that would be continue in renting only for that situation. But then we have obviously uh, for people who want to leave their. Their, their family nest of their parents, I suppose, and go out and rent a property. We're in a situation where they can't rent a property either. And they, they really, we need, if government are looking at this, we really need some incentives for people to build properties or to buy properties to rent for those people as well. So it's not just with new homes and people buying new homes. That is a, a problem, but it's also a problem for the rental uh, market and like recently and most recently the government I think you and I maybe even spoke about it where the government are talking about 
uh, given uh, tenants a, a right to buy a property, which they have at the moment. But they're, it's, it's the start of trying to, uh, I suppose, water down uh, uh, property owners' rights. And, and that is something that's not going to be good for the market. It's encouragement the market needs, uh, not a big stick. So, Well, in front overall, of the Irish Independent today, Dara O'Brien, the housing minister, suggesting there need to be more tax breaks for landlords. So perhaps there's some carrot and some stick in the policy. Just one final point. A few people have raised affordability as being a natural ceiling. So if we go back to 2021, there was an 8.1% increase in uh, prices, 7.7% increase in property prices in 2020. I think it was 6% during 2022 and okay, a bit lower last year. But wages will not have kept pace with those asset increases. So eventually, unless the central bank rules are changed, which will restrict what you can borrow relative to your income, are we not going to run out of money effectively? Well, the central bank rules, I think at the moment, I've been an advocate of changing them for years and we did get a small change in them uh, recently enough. We got a change from three and a half to four times. But if you look at the government, what we used to know as the county council loans, now they're called local government loans, they're giving four and a half times income to people. And again, this is relevant to interest rates because when the interest rate hike uh, happened and they went up, like those 10 interest rate increases, it meant that people borrowing uh, could borrow less money because they could pay back less money. But there are still thousands of people in this country who are paying a lot more rent for property than there would be for mortgages, even at the interest rates that they are at the moment. So those people should get more money to be able to buy a property. But like, there's, there's a sort of a, there has to be an equilibrium in the market too, Will, because there are people who want to rent and want to continue renting. There are people who want to get in the property ladder. Uh, and obviously those people are the ones that we have to try and sort out that we can get them on the property ladder and we can provide properties for the other people to rent. So there has to be a situation there. I remember listening to Brian Cowan, I think he was on with you sometime in the middle of last year, and he was talking about every little thing that comes along the way that helps the market is important. We're not going to have one big uh, silver bullet that's what Mary Lou was speaking about that's going to change everything and bring property prices down. There has to be all these little changes along the way that are all helpful in their own way. And I think if we continue doing that, like the schemes that the government have brought in, like that first home scheme and the extension of that and maybe the higher prices of it to allow more people into it, I think things like that will help. And I think there's no doubt about it, it looks like property prices in 2024, if we are continuing on the same trajectory as we are at the moment, prices are going to continue to go up, maybe slightly, but they are. But country prices, as we know them, will go up faster than city prices because there's many properties still way behind where they were in 2006 and many people are still in negative equity. Pat, as ever, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Will. Pat Davitt is the Chief Executive of the Institute of Professional Auctioneers and Valuers. He's from County Westmeath. Now, in around 10 minutes, we go out in the garden for the first session of 2024 and feel free to pick the brain of the expert. Text or WhatsApp 083 30 10 103, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. Next, New Year's resolutions. Are you bothered to make one? Midlands Today with Will Faulkner, with the stories beyond the headlines. Midlands 103. Colm in Roscommon has a brilliant New Year's resolution. He wants to learn how to drive. Brilliant. 
And um, the background to this, of course, is that he is walking uh, on a bad knee. He's pushing 60, so it's getting harder and harder to move around. Well, hats off, Colm. Very brave, and I hope it goes well. Hello, Simon Campbell. How are you, sir? Yes, I was recently in your place of work and spotted the chocolate eggs on the shelf. Hot chocolate, it says, but it does look like an Easter egg. Regarding road safety, Anne believes it should be compulsory for pedestrians, e-scooter users and cyclists to wear visibility vests or reflective wear. Several people dressed in dark clothing have just appeared out of nowhere on the road recently and have crossed in front of me or they're walking on the wrong side. And of course they do so at dusk. And all of this places a huge onus on drivers to spot them. The government might consider distributing reflective gear free of charge. Well, indeed, Midlands 103, along with the Rotary Clubs of the Midlands and Tullamore Credit Union, for years operated Be Safe, Be Seen for that very reason. Brian in Portlaoise says, For some in the UK... It has been possible to send your dash cam footage of dangerous driving to police forces through a portal and they have saved thousands of man-hours in making these prosecutions. Here, however, it won't. It won't be rolled out until 2025 and the complainant will still have to physically attend to give a handwritten interview which people just aren't going to do. Let's be practical about it, Brian. And I I thank you. That is a good point. If you can automate the process, send the evidence, and indeed maybe do so anonymously, then people will be far more inclined to do it rather than take time out of their day, go to court, go to the Garda station, and indeed put their name to something which might have a blowback against them. About the bins and the recycling charge for the tins and the plastic bottles. Will I have two bins, and I'm soon getting a brown bin, and the driver of the lorry won't come down the road to collect, so I have to drive to the head of the road to get them emptied. Really? Is it that the road you're on is just inaccessible for the truck? What's the reason for that? Doesn't sound like you're getting your money's worth. Anne, good morning. You travel from exit 3 to exit 2 on the Galway-Dublin motorway about three times a week. You do the 120 kilometres per hour, which is the speed limit, and you are always getting left behind. Yes, on the motorway, the 120 seems to be a target rather than a limit. Thanks, Anne. Joe, again echoing what that that earlier caller said, high-vis vests should be compulsory when walking. And a final comment from John, what brainless idiots are running the state? More tax to recycle, fewer gorthy to police the road. They're not brainless when it comes to making out those expense claims. They probably have advisors to do that. And coming into an election... We certainly won't forget, he says. It is the 2nd of January, so hopefully you are more than 24 hours into your New Year's resolution. And it is that time of year when many of us try to put the best foot forward. And the children of Clonina National School 
in Mount Rath have been sharing their plans for 2024. I really want to get fit, so I'm going to start doing like loads of running. And like I, my dad does bronc. My dad does rugby, and I do rugby too. And there's like these things called broncos. So you do five meter run, come back, ten meter run, come back, and then like a fifteen meter run, come back. And yeah, that's basically my uh, New Year's resolution. Join a new sport. I want to start like rugby or something. And my New Year's resolution is me and my mum are doing. We're going to do every day now back against the wall and try build up because I did it last night and I got one minute and fourteen seconds. And I want to help out more at the Lamin this year. I want to get me seven forty four uh, all. Uh, restored. She's mighty. She was a hundred horsepower, but she's a bit old now, so she might. So she might need a bit of an old um, turbocharger or something. Yeah, and then my New Year's resolution is I don't have one. <laughs> Out of the mouths of babes. Anyway, thank you very much to the children of Clonida National School in Mount Rath and to their teachers for taking part in that. Add your own on 083 30 10 103 text or WhatsApp powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. Indeed, if you've maybe received a gift of a plant for Christmas and you're a little bit lost or if you're looking out into the garden and you've a few days left on your holidays, you lucky sod, uh, maybe there are some tasks you would like advice about. It's time for the latest Community Diary with Tommy Solicitors at Loan, one of the largest, longest established and most respected firms of solicitors in the Midlands. Adam Cara supports parents after bereavement and they hold their next meeting in the Midlands at the Mullingar Park Hotel, Wednesday the 10th of January, 715 and they welcome any bereaved parent, regardless of the age of the child or the circumstances. You don't have to register, just arrive on the evening. And in the meantime, check out anamcara.ie. Leash Offaly Education Training Board operates drop-in clinics for form filling and digital online support. The clinics are every Monday in Tullamore Library from 10 until 12 and in Port Leash Library on Tuesday mornings from 10 until 12. And it's free and confidential. You don't need an appointment. It's a drop-in service. Roscore Clinic treats and supports RSV, flu, pneumonia, bronchitis, COPD, as well as a range of digestive skin, muscle and joint issues and general women's, men's, children's and infants' health with evening appointments an option you can contact Emmett Walsh or Ava Rafalowska on 057 or online at medicalherbalist.ie. And if you wish to brush up on your writing, your maths or your computer skills, check out your local adult learning service. In Leash, the number is 057 6138 or in Offaly, it's 057 934944 check out L-O-E-T-B on Facebook. The Community Diary is online at midlands103.com if you need to check those details again. And if I missed something that's happening in your area, call 0818 300 103. The Community Diary, with thanks to Tormi Solicitors, experienced in the areas of law that affect people on a day-to-day basis. Tormies.ie Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Find out what you missed earlier at midlands103.com Let's go out in the garden. And by the way, the temperature is eight degrees, so it's not too bad. A little bit grey. It's grey. <laughs> yeah, but the, the rain is holding off. John Carey is here from Solace Eco Garden Centre 
in Port Arlington. Good morning. Good morning. Well, Happy New Year. And Happy New Year to you too. And of course, a big Christmas in the Carey household. It was indeed. Yes, the new arrival. He's seven and a half months old now. So, uh, yeah, he was... You know, somewhat aware that it was Christmas. We were. We it was were, a big deal for you. It though. was a big deal for me and, and Carla, my partner. So yeah, we were we were super excited. I think that uh, it was sinking in that uh, the parents were a bit uh, over the top with the excitement levels. So as you say, he he was loving it. He, he loved the lights. He got a few presents. He may have loved the wrapping more than the presents itself, but uh, <laughs> that, that you know. doesn't change for a few years. <laughs> okay, you know. okay, okay. And they play with the box. And yeah, yeah. yeah. I was lovely. We really we had a great Christmas. Thanks very much. Yeah. Really Are you it. a sort of person who makes New Year's resolutions? Um, yeah, I guess I do. Like you know, um, and I I wouldn't uh, put myself under too much pressure. I think if you do a resolution, something that's achievable, you know, rather than giving yourself too much. Uh, too many hard tasks in, in January so personally I, I have just one simple resolution and it is to get back into eating wheatgrass oh yes yes have you ever done that no you ever grown, grown wheatgrass wheatgrass is a, a, is a sprouting uh, plant so you simply sow the seed and within three, two weeks or sorry less than two weeks less than two weeks you can harvest it it's like a superfood effectively you would blend it in a blender or a juicer, you need to like really break up the foliage mm. and there's nothing left of it bar juice. And what would uh, you blend it with? What does uh, it go with? You just put a little drop of water in with it. So that's in the blender. Mm. You put a bit of water in with it just to help it really uh, chop up uh, perfectly. And you would drink it as a shot in the morning. It's like an energy boost in the morning. And you, it's a you, you, you've experience with this. You've I used to do it. it. I used to do it. I was really good at it. You know the way you, you do something for so long, and you think you know you think you're going to do it forever, but then it just drifted away. Other things came along, like little Alexander. And well. do you miss it? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just it's that boost you get in the morning, like that extra bit of energy in the day, like you know. But it kind of takes a while for it to build up. You know, you need to be uh, eating wheatgrass maybe for or drinking it for about two to three weeks for the, the benefits to kick in. But yeah, absolutely. I highly recommend it. And it's easy to grow. And it looks good on a windowsill as well. Cause it's, this easy for you to grow. Easy. I know anyone can do this one. You just, uh, well, you, I do recommend getting a heat propagator for best results, you know. Uh, so you can simply, they often fit on a windowsill um, and you just sow the seeds. Um, you water it in, nice, nice good uh, compost, water it in. And I think within seven days, you'll, you'll get a harvest and you can just simply cut it with a scissors. And it's that really vibrant green grass mm. kind of appearance. So as I say, it looks lovely on your windowsill. And, and does, um, it, does it grow quickly again after your first harvest? Yeah, you'll get about three harvests out of uh, a batch and then you'll have to start fresh again. Like, you know, so yeah. And does it have a season or is it year round? Well, it's indoors, so you can do it all year round. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So you have your heated propagator, you can have your little lid over um, the, the crop in the early stages to build up the, the kind of the humidity levels. And then after that, then you take the lid off. The grass can reach about 10 centimetres in height and you can half it or trim it down to the base. And it'll, I say, grow back about three times, you'll get out of it. And then it's, it, uh, it needs to be re- replanted. But that's uh, my own okay, I'll personal try that. resolution. I'll try that. Yeah, definitely. I haven't made and it's New Year's resolution. You, you can get the seed in, in, in garden centres, in our garden centre, if you <laughs> But it's easy to come by. And yeah, definitely worth trying. Definitely worth trying. Doesn't taste the best, Will. Doesn't taste hey, the best. I but, used to drink know, egg whites. Pain and, oh, really? When I was oh, doing right. weights. You know all about this, so yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah. just down the hatch with egg whites yeah. because they were a fantastic way and are and a fantastic exactly, way of getting protein. Exactly it. Down the hatch. Don't well, it's think a bit like it. medicine. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's got to hurt a little bit. Doesn't yeah, it? <laughs> it doesn't have to taste good. So once it does good and you feel the benefit, yeah. that's the reward this in itself. It. So, more to try. January, this 
period post-Christmas when perhaps you're looking for jobs to do to occupy the mind and get through the darker evenings. Mm-hmm. Um, what would be outdoors as a priority list? Well, it's funny because you think, God, oh, it's the middle of winter, uh, there's nothing to do in the garden uh, because everything is, is dormant and asleep. Well, that's exactly why it's a great season to be doing lots of things in the garden because our plants are dormant, they are resting, they're not growing and this is a time of year where we can disrupt them, we can prune them, we can transplant them, we can divide them, uh, we can take cuttings. So all of these tasks can be done in the month of January. So you can look at your garden, you can go out, uh, uh, check on your trees and your shrubs and you can decide whether they need a prune, whether they are in the wrong position, you need to lift them and replant them. Or if you're looking at your perennials, if they're starting to uh, you know, overgrow, you can lift them and divide them this time of year. And in terms of your fruits, there's uh, so much to be done really in this, this season. Uh, uh, your apples and pears, perfect season for pruning your apples and pears as well. So okay. that's only a start of it. It's, there's, uh, yeah, it's a good season. Like If you can get, you know, the lawns, I suppose, the weather is our issue this time of year. Uh, it can be too damp as it is today. It's been a, it's been a miserable few uh, weeks, I guess, in terms of rain levels. So you want to maybe keep off your lawns. Don't do any real heavy lifting. Don't be raking up leaves or don't be walking on your lawns mm. too much. Keep but off at least the, the soil is moist for moving things. Yeah, perfect. Whereas if it was frosty and dry, yeah, absolutely. it'd be too hard. Go, yeah, the dry, the, 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 the extreme dry, Dry conditions is a real issue with uh, digging. But now, yeah, you've nice soft soil, perfect for lifting your, your perennials, lifting uh, bulbs that need to be divided and also for transplanting, ideal season for it. Mm. Back to those fruit trees and pruning. So with roses, you could be quite aggressive and go yeah. back a lot. Uh-huh, exactly. What yeah. would be a good guide for apple a, trees, a for good, instance? A good guide, yeah. And like, you know, I try. To, people find it so complicated with apple and pear. A simple rule would be 10 to 20% of the canopy should be removed at one time and nothing nothing more than 20%. You're putting too much stress on your mm. on your on your fruit trees at that point. And when you're doing your pruning, say you're removing 20%, you you don't want to take off one big limb and leave it at that. You want to be taking off a little bit of the outer canopy and then you want to work your way into the in, inner sides of the tree, look down the branches and remove an entire uh, section of a branch. That's called thinning out and that'll reduce the amount of branches you have, it'll open up the canopy of the tree and it'll allow for better fruiting and more uh, airflow, which is uh, beneficial for disease resistance. So it's a great time of year to do that because there's no leaves on your trees. You can see the framework of the tree. You can see the structure of it and you can easily work your way back and prune off those limbs and uh, and thin out the, the inner canopy as well as removing some branches from the outer canopy. So that's what it really is about. It's about removing some of the outer canopy and some of the inner canopy, not to do a, an overall shave of the haircut, kind of all of the outside of the of the tree. Dave asks, would now be a time to place potash around the base of your trees? Fertilising, I would, you know, you can start now, but it's beneficial to give it another month or two. All of your fertilising, uh, you would probably start doing in, in March. Now, you can certainly mulch up around the base of your trees this time of year. Uh, that's helping to... Uh, maintain soil temperature, it helps maintain moisture and it'll slow release fertiliser into the ground and obviously, most crucially, control weeds around your trees and shrubs. So mulching now is ideal to do, but uh, potash um, um, fertiliser, uh, you can start applying towards the end of February, beginning of March. Joe, everybody must have potash these days. He's asking, can he spread potash on his lawn at this time of year? Again, lawn work uh, is ideally left till April. You know, that's the season... 
the ideal season for all your lawn care is in the month of April when uh, your lawn, the, the, the wet conditions have kind of passed and your lawn is just at the point where it's really going to kick in and any kind of work you're doing on it, it will quickly uh, show its benefits and recover from the, the hard treatment you give it in that season. Tricia, she would love to start moving plants now, but she knows the moment she does, the cats will come in and do their business on the newly dug flower beds. Right. Is there any natural deterrent you can recommend? Um, to stop cats peeing on the on the or just they're digging it up. Yeah, but, yeah well, yeah. if they're digging yeah. it up, I imagine mm. it's uh, more than pee. Yeah, okay, okay. I'm not really sure. There's a product we sell called Catapult, but I don't know if it's natural organic consistencies. I'm not really fully aware of the. Uh, uh, the makeup or the active ingredient in catapult. it. But catapult. Catapult. Oh, is, it <laughs> is there a smell they dislike in it? Uh, How does it work? Yeah, I, it's, it's, I think it's scent based deterrent. Right. That, like, or maybe it's not an elastic band that it, springs it, there, them there, off. No. no, I mean, visually it sounds like it might be doing something like that, but I think it's, yeah, it's, it's good branding, I guess, because I never forget the name Catapult. <laughs> I remember uh, one of the other gardeners on the program recommended a plant called Coleus canina. Right. And I know it's canina. It sounds like it could be canine, yeah. but it's not. It, yeah. The smell really disagrees with cats. Okay, okay. So okay. if you put plant coleus canina in among whatever else is in the bed, that yeah. might just be a deterrent. That sounds like a perfect solution to it. It's natural. You know, it'll grow there. You won't have to reapply it. So it, definitely it's a winner. Definitely an idea. Tommy asks, is it okay to dig up dahlia tubers for transplanting? Absolutely, and and you're still okay to do it now. You I mean ideally, is ideally uh, lifted in 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 um, after flowering in autumn time, and um, but that's really about protecting it from the damp conditions and from the frost. They really do not like damp conditions, but uh, frost can uh, heavy frost can also wipe them out. So, not is it okay? It's almost essential to to lift your dahlias. Um, uh, and you're still in time because we haven't really had the very hard frosts, no doubt, are, are going to be coming to us in, uh, no, no, no doubt. at don't, some don't point. Say that. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, lift them now uh, out of the ground and uh, knock off all of the excess mud off them and then bring them indoors. Uh, keep them in a, a dry location. You can put them in a brown paper bag or a bit of hessian and then store them in a place that has you know temperatures that won't drop below uh, four, four degrees Celsius. So it's out of frost effectively. So, just as you mentioned, Frost, the forecast for this week is pretty much as it is today, about 9, 10 degrees daytime, 7, 6, but it is going to start tapering uh, Thursday night, 4 degrees, Friday, 3 degrees. By Saturday and Sunday, we're down to freezing conditions overnight, and it looks like we will have those freezing conditions for about a week. Right, there you go. This is it. So the frost arrives at the weekend. Yes, so this is your your chance now to get ahead of yourself, get your dahlias indoors, get them up out of the ground, and maybe get your frost fleece down. If you have any uh, crops that you planted over uh, the autumn period that aren't covered, definitely want to cover them with a fleece now this time of year. Our expert today is John Carey from Solis Eco Garden Centre in Port Arlington. Feel free to pick his brain on 083 30 10 103. Text or WhatsApp. Here with the news and views that you can use. Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Midlands 103. Now still on the menu today, the increase in flu and COVID that is expected over the next few weeks going to put some pressure on local hospitals. And at the moment... 
we have roughly twice as many people hospitalised with flu as with COVID, which is rather interesting given where we were three years ago. John Carey is here from Sullis Eco Garden Centre in Port Arlington and our next listener is Ollie, who received a polytunnel, I assume for Christmas, and he's wondering, what or when can I start sowing stuff in it? Good question, Ollie. So, a nice gift to get us in it, you mm. know. Um, so... If you haven't positioned it yet, just the first thing with any polytunnel is just keep it out of uh, exposed sites. Make sure you have a nice sheltered spot for it. You know, you obviously still want your south-facing sun. Uh, maybe even avoid the, the east-facing sun if you can because that's where the morning sun can really uh, do damage to plants. Kind of yes, frost damage kind of yeah. kicks in in the morning. So you want to avoid the, the, the morning sun, but the, the main day sun uh, towards the evening is, is best. And then shelter because, you know, wind can <clears throat> can undo a lot of good work very quickly. Uh, but uh, what to sow, um, now is the time, you, toward the end of January is when you should start sowing in a, in a polytunnel, uh, not before then. But now you can definitely get your beds prepared. Uh, and then what you want to be sowing is things like chilies and aubergines and you maybe some salad crops you could start sowing um, from the end of this month and then when you're into February you can start looking at uh, your tomatoes and, and uh, uh, peppers. And are all these choices reasonably straightforward to grow because I'm sensing from Ollie that he's, 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 he hasn't he's done this before. Uh, what would be the easiest that salads are definitely the easiest. Tomatoes probably the most rewarding because you know everyone needs lots of tomatoes. Mm. Um, there, there's a little bit to growing tomatoes, but uh, it's definitely very achievable. You know, started in indoors in your house. The, 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 we'll talk about tomato then. Uh, we we'll started indoors in a in a in a small pot, like a nine centimeter pot, um, and then keep it in a windowsill until it reaches about ten centimeters in size, and then you can move it into a larger pot or into a tomato grow bag. So if you're using tomato grow bags, they say three per bag, but it's never right. I think if you split your grow bag in half and stand it up so it looks almost like a, a plastic pot, uh, you can grow um, one, t- one tomato plant per half of your, your, your bag, so two tomato plants per bag. Uh, and then, yes, yeah, just get it out, get it into your polytunnel, and uh, just don't overwater it, water it steadily. And then we get into the pruning phase, which is about removing, uh, just uh, making sure there isn't too many fruiting stems. You want to keep it down to about seven fruiting stems mm. uh, per, per tomato plant. And that way, you know, come the end of summer, you'll have uh, lots of ripe uh, red tomatoes rather than loads and loads and loads of little small uh, green tomatoes. So, yeah, don't try to have uh, a large harvest. Try to keep it to seven uh, fruiting stems per plant, ideally. You mentioned peppers as an option as well. Yeah, yeah. In Ireland, how successful are they? Uh, chili peppers do fine here, like yeah. you know, yeah, you can easily grow a chili pepper. I find in a in a polytunnel, uh, sweet peppers there they can be done, but they get very very small harvests. I would find like definitely. Again, it's kind of the same as that. Try not to over uh, egg it, but try try to keep your plants manageable size. Noel is looking for advice in sowing potatoes in the garden. First of all, what time of year should he be thinking? So, uh, do you talk about March being the time of year to start mm. sowing outdoors? Uh, we've already had, I was in work this morning and checking my emails and we're already getting requests for when are your seed potatoes coming in, when are your seed potatoes coming in. So, they're they're coming soon. We'll have them at the end of, the, uh, definitely by the end of January. So, and when you get them early, you can chit them indoors and that means uh, you can half them if you want, but you're basically put, uh, sitting them into egg cups uh, or sorry, uh, uh, the trays that eggs come in, those six-pack trays, and you sit them there in sunlight and that allows them to start to sprout effectively in, in light. 
and that speeds up the growing cycle and then you can plant them out. I say we ideally plant uh, our spuds in Ireland uh, on St. Patrick's Day and you can you grow them into your uh, your 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 trenches there and they want to be spaced about 50 centimetres apart and then uh, so yeah March is your ideal time to sow them but again ground preparation is key with, with potatoes they're hungry they like a lot of nutrients so uh, what you can certainly look at doing now is, is ideal again it's ground preparation um, depending on where you are at with your vegetable plot um, you want to look at what sort of ground condi- conditions you have we try not to over dig our beds anymore so the first tip on your on your uh, ground preparation is maybe just uh, get a garden fork, stick it into the soil, see how far down it goes. And if you can get your fork down, uh, it's full length. You don't really need to dig over that ground this year. You can just you know prepare your, your beds, uh, uh, apply some farmyard manure over the surface of your beds now and let that break down. And then come uh, spring, come, come uh, March the 14th or 17th, sorry, uh, you can uh, create your trenches and plant your spuds into the trenches on that date. Ashling is back from Australia for a few weeks. She lost her granny during 2023, wants to leave something on the grave that will last while she's gone, uh, gone back to Australia. So, any top tips? Um, so, Popular this time of year will be uh, uh, p- planters that have some winter uh, interest in them and winter bedding in them. So you could see right now, ideal planting would be something with a maybe a conifer in the centre, uh, maybe some cyclamens and ivies around the edge. But then underneath that, uh, not yet sprouting, could be some dwarf spring uh, bulbs, some daffodils. Um, and maybe some tulips and then what you're getting then is an extended growing season Mm. you have your colour right now in your cyclamens and your ivies Uh, the cyclamens will die back the ivies will remain the the conifers will remain and then up uh, from that then will pop your your daffodils which will give you colour up until the end of March and then after that you'll have your tulips popping up in April which you'll see through to the start of summer after that, then you're often looking at you know no matter what you do, you're looking at a replant job at that point. Uh, if you didn't want to replant, then there are just you know interesting evergreens or you know maybe a small tree even mm. in, a, in a large pot could be suitable for for year round interest. I love how you just composed all of that mentally in your head. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just visualizing what was going yeah, in. Yeah, planters that I, we've done recently. We're, we're getting into that now in, in Solace as well, where we're trying to get into the whole uh, service of providing planters and hanging baskets to businesses as well. So it's very much forefront in our minds what we're doing there. Tommy says his son is listening and he found chestnuts recently under the tree and he's wondering, can he grow them? Uh, yeah, you can certainly grow chestnuts again. Uh, I think we had this question the last time I came out, actually, did we? Did you? Yeah, we did, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you would sow them, uh, probably want to sow them into a large pot now this time of year. Maybe maybe give it another few weeks. Uh, they're, they're native, so, you know, you can sow them prior to Christmas as well. It'll sit well in the ground. But, you know, if, you're, if you want to turn it into a project, again, bring a, a plant it indoors in a, in a small pot uh, and then just wait for it to get to about 10 centimetres in height and then you can plant it out into the garden. Make sure you stake it and mark the place where you put it so you know uh, where it is because they, they can be slow to, to develop. Uh, caller is asking, can you divide a fisherman's rod plant? Fisherman's rod plant? I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> Does anyone have the Latin name? No, I don't know. 
Um, I feel like I should know that one. Fisherman Rod Plant. Anyway, more details. Um, that's where we have to leave it, I'm afraid, uh, because we're out of time. But you can find John and the team at Solace Eco Garden Centre in Port Arlington. And we will chat to you again very, very soon. Thanks very much, Will. Happy New Year. John Carey. Now, in the next hour, COVID and flu on the increase, along with RSV and all those nasty respiratory viruses. So, uh, what the HSE considers to be best advice. Is having a New Year's night still a big thing? Or is it Happy New Year at 10 o'clock and off to bed? What was your experience? And... uh, Also today, the case for a playground fund, because it could be quite onerous if you decide in your local community that you need a playground, a lot of hoops to jump through, a lot of forms to fill out. How can we make this scheme a little bit easier? Love the Midlands? Love Midlands 103. Good morning. Now, still on the agenda today, increasing levels of flu in particular, COVID to a lesser extent, being seen in our emergency departments across the Midlands. So what's the best advice to try and keep this under control? And New Year's night, did you go out or did you stay in? And is it as big a deal as it used to be? When you call my number, you can text or WhatsApp 083 30 10 103. Ina has done just that. You waited until midnight to ring in the new year. The fireworks in London, which were brilliant. And new year to everybody listening. All the crew, she says. Now, we had calls over the weekend. And indeed, a lot of people asking this morning whether we were going to hear from Offaly County Council about this. But just imagine not being able to flush your toilet. Imagine seeing sewage floating around on the street outside. Not something from the 19th century, but something from the weekend just past in the Convent View area of Tullamore. Sean O'Brien is a local councillor. He's an independent member of Offaly County Council. Sean, good morning. Can you... Tell us more about what the residents of that area have been putting up with. Uh, Yeah, it was dreadful there the weekend. Uh, I was up there on on early Saturday morning myself. Uh, I think we had a lot of uh, heavy rain and and storms on Friday night, so throughout Friday night and into Saturday morning. uh, It was just a disaster in Convent View and the the link there, the corner of Convent View and Calvary Street. Uh, Huge floodwaters. Uh, that's in itself maybe is not unusual it can be cleared but unfortunately it uh, flooded the uh, sewage system and the sewage system there there has been an issue for some time uh, in in, uh, Convent View and and Calorie Street and uh, I witnessed there uh, myself there was water spewing from the sewer system Uh, there was raw sewage on the footpaths uh, sewage uh, in in the water on, on the road sewage flowing into the canal uh, absolutely. Uh, in, in this day and age, here we are now in 24. Uh, as I said over the weekend, we're not a third world country. We should be able to have solutions for this. Uh, people obviously couldn't use their toilets. Uh, I, I witnessed people tiptoeing along the footpath trying to avoid sewage. Uh, cyclists uh, uh, cycling through water, which was totally contaminated with sewage. Uh, the stench in the area was was, was unreal. 
and uh, you know the the cars uh, spewing water uh, towards the footpaths and towards people's front gardens. No. Something you do not expect to no, see. You know? No, and I probably should have alerted anybody who was recently after their their breakfast or food or coffee, you know, just to close the ears for a moment. But uh, when eventually did the situation stabilise and people were able to use their their loos and, and have a normal uh, a normal experience again? Uh, well, I, I contacted uh, Ishka Aaron, as they call themselves now, Jusby Irish Water. They keep changing their name to, to sound more popular. Uh, but uh, the usual thing, I just got a person on the phone that took the details. Uh, they said they would uh, have it put onto an, as an emergency to be dealt with. Uh, I also contacted the area engineer and, and other council staff locally uh, to see what, could they help. And thankfully, our, our local area engineer arranged for a contractor uh, to clear the floodwaters and also to wash down the area to get the area swept and, and the sewage cleared and, and uh, somewhat uh, cleaned up. Um, that, that, uh, how long after people could actually use their tiles or to what extent things have got normal, not, I'm not sure. But it, this is an ongoing issue. This is not just a weekend because of a flood. This has been raised at our council meeting on numerous times. And Irish Water were always going to have a response and they're always going to do this and do that. Nothing has happened. Absolutely nothing happened. I think that this is, it raises the issue that the government decided some years back to take away all responsibility for water and wastewater and give it to Irish Water, take it away from the local council. And uh, when people have a complaint, we now have to ring this 1-800 number. It takes ages to get through and the response uh, is uh, not always immediate and, and possibly no response at all. That, that this is what we're faced with. It's just a disaster as far as I'm concerned. Now, for and people I think who the don't know the have... area, it is an established estate and it's that road extending down from the Kilbegan Bridge, which many people may know. Um, you've yeah. got further out along that road, probably in the last 20 years, uh, some new housing developed. Uh, the hospital is obviously nearby and so on. So there will be a degree of pressure on that older infrastructure, which never imagined that level of activity. What, from an engineering point of view, is the solution? Uh, well, to me, yeah, you mentioned there about the houses. Uh, there are a lot of new houses up in Harbour View, Harbour Walk, uh, a council scheme in, in um, uh, Putchahan, a lot of other new houses there in Tyrold Road. And so th- these were all, all uh, built and developed, but no extra provision was made for the sewage system. And that, that sewage system, which serves uh, Convent View and, and uh, Callery Street, that lower end of, of, of the uh, Putchahan area, that has not been upgraded. So th- to me, we seem to need a new uh, system for surface water certainly to cater for that and upgrade the sewage system. Uh, it's simply not, not fit for purpose at present and uh, that, that, that's uh, to me I, I want, uh, I've been in contact with the council staff, I've been onto the environmental department and the water services in our own county council this morning trying to get them to put pressure on. This has to be done ASAP. This is urgent. Uh, th- that area of Condon View is a lot of elderly people small bungalows, they've been living there for years uh, and for them uh, they even tell me that uh, even when we don't have floods or don't have this issue with extra water uh, even during the ordinary summertime there's a foul smell coming from the sewers in the area and they're coping with this day in day out and it's simply not acceptable and I, I'm certainly I'm, I'm so disappointed for those people that you know I was there with them on, on Saturday morning it was just dreadful to witness it's not something that people should have to put up with in, in, as, as we are now in 2024. 
Well, we're only back in action today, so we will contact Irish Water or Ishka Erin as it is now and see if they have a long-term plan for uh, that problem. But for the moment, Sean O'Brien, thank you for highlighting it. Thank you very much, Phil. Thank you. Take care now. Sean O'Brien is an independent member of Offaly County Council. If you're living there, if you saw this firsthand over the weekend, 0818 300 103 is the Midlands 103 comment line. Or indeed, if you have video and pictures of what you had to endure... WhatsApp 083 30 10 103. Midlands Today with Bus Erin. Use your TFI Young Adult or Student's Leap Card on board Bus Erin services as part of the Transport for Ireland network. Visit buserin.ie today. You may be feeling a little under the weather. Certainly a lot of people picked up colds and bugs over the Christmas period. And with schools not yet back, but going back in a few days' time, it is a great chance for... RSV and flu and COVID to start mixing again and propagating in the community, which all puts pressure on the emergency departments. And seasonally, this is to be expected, along with the cold, you know, the trips, the falls, those minor trauma injuries as well. Dr. Fanula Cooney is Area Director of Public Health with the HSE in the Dublin and Midlands region. Fanula, good morning and a happy new year. Good morning, Will. Thanks very much. Happy New Year to you too. What's the picture in emergency departments at the moment? How do uh, respiratory uh, reasons mix with uh, trauma, with with the other reasons uh, ED would be busy? Yeah, that's right. There's there's no doubt. Everybody's aware and your introduction was very helpful. There, There is a high level of respiratory illness circulating in the community. And as a result of this, there's higher demand on our health services. GPs are busy. GP out of hours have been very busy over the weekend. And you're right, there's higher demand in our ED departments um, for assessment and higher numbers of admissions. So there's no doubt it's a busy time. Um, It was expected. It's the winter surge. It's a busy time. And I I very much welcome this opportunity, Will, to talk to the public about what people can do in relation to prevention and preparedness. Um, You know, essentially, I'd very much like to give a message in relation to what people can do to help reduce the risk of picking up a respiratory illness. On the prevention side, look, many of us will have, and rightly so, socialised over Christmas and New Year's, and we don't want to go back to those horrible days of lockdowns and being told not to see people. Um, Mm -hmm. So on the prevention side, is there much that can be done given the time of year? Ah, yeah. Like, it's so important for people to socialise. It is so important. Christmas is a time for family and friends. But, yeah, there's a lot that people can do in relation to prevention. And one important message I'd like to put out to your listeners is that it is not too late to get the winter vaccines, the COVID-19 and the flu vaccine. It's not too late and it is available. So if you're a person who's eligible for the COVID vaccine, the booster or the flu vaccine, please don't hesitate to go forward and get it. Um, The vaccine is available both at GP surgeries as well as in certain um, pharmacies. And what's the uptake been like, Fanula? Presumably less than the original COVID vaccine some years ago. Um, Yeah, 
there's, there's no doubt um, the Ireland was exceptional in very high rate of COVID vaccination uptake during the height of the pandemic, which is something we've all benefited from and very proud of that. Uh, there's no doubt there's been a reduction in the uptake of vaccine across society, and that's fully understandable. However, for people at particular risk, older people and people with health problems, immune problems, pregnant women, and also people who might be older who are in good health but are, you know, sharing, you know, in the household with people who are very vulnerable. You know, it is very important to get vaccination because it is a proven measure of reducing the risk of getting vaccination, getting these illnesses and reduced risk of having significant complications. Like no vaccine is 100% effective, but they can greatly reduce the risk of getting the infection and greatly reduce the risk of complications arising from the infection. So that's my main message um, today to let people know that it's not too late to get vaccinated and there's a wealth of information in relation to vaccination and being winter ready on the HSE website. It's at hse.ie forward slash winter. Now, thankfully, and, you know, the vast, vast majority of people, if they get any sort of flu or COVID or respiratory infection, they will be just fine. They'll feel poorly for a few days, but they won't end up in an emergency department. What's the best practice, though, as far as mixing during that time? Uh, because most people aren't testing anymore to determine whether it's COVID or whether it's flu or whatever it may be. Okay, well, I suppose the real, getting back to the real basics, basic things would be like, first of all, avoid people who have obvious symptoms of respiratory infection. And for people who have symptoms of respiratory infection, you know, to avoid mixing with others and certainly to minimize interaction with people who are vulnerable. So, you know, the basic supply, if you're sick, lie low, and if you're at risk of complications of infection, it's wise to avoid mixing with people who have obvious symptoms. Um, good also, again, back to basics, attention to hand hygiene. Um, you know, be careful with hand washing. Um, that, that's important. And, then, you know, if, if kids are sick, you know, be wise not to let them mix with other children. You know, keep them at home until they're well. So, you know, the real basics apply um, all the time. And as I say, mentioned earlier about vaccination, that's an extra piece that people can do to, to reduce mm. their risk. But just so on schools, parents will be mindful. I think it's 20 days is the limit a child can miss in the year before the school has to refer the case onwards uh, to Tusla. And in most cases, nothing comes of that. But would the advice still be as rigid about not sending them to school if they have a runny nose, if they're a bit unwell? Ah, yeah, a runny nose, no, we wouldn't be recommending that children with a runny nose be kept home from school. But if they are sick, you know, if they are sick, um, they shouldn't be attending childcare or school. And that applied pre-pandemic, during the pandemic and post-pandemic. So common sense applies. Um, a runny nose sounds trivial and could be an allergy, could be a whole range of different things. But if a child is sick, if a child is unwell, 
it's best, you know, to minimise their interaction with others. And it's important as well for the public to note that, you know, the, 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 the nasal spray vaccine for, against flu is available for children. Um, so, you know, just, again, it's not too late to get that as well, even though the number of children who end up with serious complications from flu is low. There is a, there is a number that do end up requiring hospital treatment, but by vaccinating children, we're also protecting the wider population as well, you know, that, that can help protect grandparents and, and others. If the children are protected, they're less likely to be, um, if, they're, if they're vaccinated, they're less likely to be spreading flu within the family or the extended family. So just important that listeners be aware of that, that the um, nasal spray for children, that flu is still available and information is available on the HSE website. A listener asks, does it make much difference which of the viruses you pick up as far as how is it is treated? Um, COVID was once considered more serious. Thankfully, the latest variants seem to be less serious than those early ones. So mm-hmm. is it always just a case of rest and try and recuperate or does one require more intervention than another? Okay, well, there are treatments available, antiviral treatments available for people who are at risk of more serious complications from flu and from COVID. But for most of the population, the advice would be, yep, to take it easy, rest at home and, and take fluids, bed rest. But if a person's feeling, you know, unwell and not getting better, not to hesitate to to phone your GP and get advice. So it really depends. But if if people who people who are who are at risk of complications, if they do get a respiratory illness, it would be advisable to contact their GP. Now, a couple of listeners who had adverse reactions to previous vaccines are wondering if the technology has changed much since two years ago if there are perhaps uh, other means, uh, like is there a, a nasal vaccine for adults, for instance, uh, that may not produce the reaction that somebody experienced from the needle two years ago? Um, I would... The, the, no, there wouldn't be a alternative ways of giving vaccine in that for adults it's 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 an injectable vaccine um no i don't believe there's anything significant I, i'm no vaccine expert um so I, I wouldn't be happy to go into details in relation to the development of vaccines over the past two years but in in general no um we know for certain that the the flu vaccine is uh, the actual content of the seasonal flu vaccine is decided earlier on in the year before winter comes based on what that, what viruses are circulating in the southern hemisphere knowing that what's circulating in the southern part of the world will make its comes way around the northern yeah, hemisphere yeah. so the actual the actual um viruses that are included in the um the seasonal vaccine for flu varies from year to year and likewise the COVID vaccine is regularly under development but to my knowledge no significant change in the past two years in relation to the method in which the vaccine is given. And one last question and a few people are curious, would healthcare professionals be taking the vaccines in the same numbers as was the case two years ago or has there been a fall off there as well? 
Um, yep, healthcare workers, like the wider community, the sense of urgency um, would not be as high now, in relation, unfortunately, as, as, as it was during the pandemic. So, yes, a, a lot of work has been done to encourage uptake of vaccination among healthcare workers. Now, in Ireland, we don't have mandatory vaccination, and I do believe most of us would not want it to be made mandatory for healthcare workers, but a lot of initiatives have been, have been implemented to improve vaccine up, uptake among healthcare workers, but I, I'm sorry to say that the uptake hasn't been as high as many of us in public health would have wished for. Well, Dr. Fanula Cooney, thank you to you and to all of the medical staff who were working over the Christmas period and who will have a very busy couple of weeks ahead. And thank you for taking our call. Thank you, Will. Fanula Cooney is Area Director of Public Health for the HSE in the Dublin and Midlands regions. The name you trust with the news you need. Midlands Today. Midlands 103. Strong feeling still about vaccines. Breach in Clara, uh, you are not going to get another vaccine because you took the flu vaccine and still got sick. So why bother, you ask? And another listener says we got the flu vaccine and a COVID shot just before Christmas and they were as useless as tits on a bull. The whole family has the flu bug that has been going around and we all got sick. Amazing how Ireland is behind in the COVID vaccine deaths inquiry. As I wonder if the truth has yet to come out, says this listener. On Irish water, or Ishka Éireann as they're now known, Caller says they are a disgrace and have caused many environmental problems since coming into being. We were told much of the treatment plants would be upgraded, but they are very, very slow in doing so. This in response to what happened in Tullamore over the weekend in the Callery Street area. And it was a case of, unfortunately, with the flood water, raw sewage floating around on the street and householders being unable to flush their toilets. In 2023, as it was then, bizarre, bizarre stuff. Anyway, when New Year's Eve came around, did you go out or did you stay in? Because once upon a time, it was probably, along with maybe St. Patrick's Day and one or two other key occasions, the busiest night of the year in pubs and in clubs. But is it a case that perhaps habits have changed and a good night in or a good house party has replaced it? Well, let's pick the brain of a couple of people involved in the nighttime economy. PJ Kavanagh runs Kavanagh's Bar and Venue in Port Leash. Kieran White of Kiki Cabs in Mullingar has been in business for many, many years. Gentlemen, good morning. Morning, Will. And a happy new year to you good, both. Good Same morning, too. Will. And hoot nanny. Hoot nanny to everyone in the Midlands. Happy New Year. What did you do New Year's Eve, uh, Kieran? I was out working. I didn't stay out as late as I normally do, but uh, I came home and celebrated the New Year at home in in, in the house. I... I I finished up early now, but I have to say it was busy. There was lots of people out. I think it was an even spread between what was on the town celebrating and what was at home celebrating. It was very much celebrated all around, to be honest with you. People really, really, really do value the New Year's Eve celebrations, I think. 
you know, definitely without a doubt, you know, they they take the opportunity to socialise and get together and meet one another and, 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 and just, just, just be in one another's company and have the chat and have the fun and the celebration, you know, I think it's something that's innate to our nature and it'll always be there no matter what the circumstances are, you know, no matter how kind of a, maybe a recession or a boom times we're in, people will always find a way to, to, you know, cheer themselves up and get together and make the most of circumstances, I think, from what I can see, definitely. PJ, you've seen many big occasions come and go in Cavaliers in Leash. How did New Year's Eve compare with the past? Uh, yeah, it was good. Yeah, we um, yeah we were busy enough <clears throat> from early in the day, I suppose, up until probably about eleven o'clock or so, and then a lot of the younger crowd would have uh, gone to the nightclubs and the late bars and such. And yeah, there were at, at New Year's Eve itself, uh, once it hit midnight, um, there wasn't there was probably only twenty or thirty people in the pub, to be honest. Yeah. Um, few locals, uh, the big bulk of the crowd were gone. Uh, an awful lot of our staff uh, worked. So all the hours got sent over Christmas, so they were very happy to get New Year's Eve off. This particularly the younger the younger staff, and so it was kind of a win win for us in terms of we had we just had three or four staff working, and um, yeah, all passed off very very well. It was very much spread out though this year. Um, with a huge amount of events on from you know well before Christmas to to this weekend even. And um, the spread, I suppose, the age profile, I suppose, on New Year's Eve is a little bit younger, the crowd that had out. Mm. Um, I suppose so much so I was at the door myself on New Year's Eve and uh, I was checking a few IDs going in. I think there was a girl about 19 or 20 went in and she uh, was slightly insulted when I asked her for ID. <laughs> but uh, there was a little comment going by going, this is an old person's pub I'm going into. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, was, I was feeling my age myself at that stage as well. <laughs> But um, no, it was very much spread out, and um, like for us, from Christmas, uh, from from Stephen's Day to to New Year's Day, uh, there was something there for everyone from eighteen to eighty. You know, from entertainment and families, it was great. It was a great festive period overall. It was very busy as well, which was great. Just to pick up on something you said earlier, Kieran, about retiring early on New Year's Eve. A few people have suggested that's now what they do, whereas once upon a time they may have been out past midnight and been with friends uh, now they kind of go out earlier and once the batteries run flat they spend New Year's at home is that a pattern you've noticed? Uh, yeah a little bit of a pattern yeah definitely for sure now on my own uh, my own batter that was a personal choice to kind of to just take a bit of time out for a change you know so it was but uh, there was a good few people I brought home before midnight alright that had gone into town earlier on yeah that's 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 the a truth, yeah. And I, I did notice the night before New Year's Eve was a little bit quieter than New Year's Eve itself. Um, so so it was so so you know I think people towards coming towards New Year's Eve were probably getting a little bit more partied out at that stage. Uh, you know maybe they had enough of it or the pocket was beginning to run a little bit empty over the, over the Christmas period. But overall, the, as as uh, himself said from Cavanaugh there. Definitely, there was a lot of people out over the Christmas period celebrating, and you know it was a busy period, very very busy period at night time. Now you know. What uh, did you make of the hoot nanny, by the way? The hoot nanny is brilliant. I absolutely love it. I watch it every year. If I don't get home, I'll record it and watch it maybe the next day. I, I love it. I love it. I, I never miss it now. And it was lovely to see the uh, the Mary Wallabers on it as well. The Irish band, you know, they were they really really uh, threw something into the mix that was quite special there. And yeah, and there's a nice county connection there as well, isn't there, PJ? 
Yeah, Roshan, yeah. they're the bass player. Uh, Roshan Barrett, she was playing there, so it was great. Fantastic to see them uh, on Hooten, and it was a phenomenal achievement for them to get that far and to get three songs and a super tribute to the Pogues as well. And uh, there was a girl there from uh, Donegal as well, which was, which was great to see there. Right. such a big Irish connection on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think maybe that speaks to the popularity of A Night In as well, compared to, like I remember going back to the heady days, the early noughties, and there were far more pubs and there were far more nightclubs and there weren't smoking areas, there weren't as strict in the drink driving laws and, you know, lots of good healthcare policy has happened since then, but uh, New Year's Eve was probably the busiest night of the year, along with maybe St. Patrick's Day. And the notion of staying in really wasn't a thing because I don't think there were... Um, wasn't really the hoot and nanny. There wasn't really the uh, the RTE equivalent of it, and you know the Tolu McCabe's of the world would never have gotten the platform they did um, in those days. Am I maybe thinking back with rose tinted glasses, or has it always been like this? No, I think I think you're spot on. Um, like it, it, people's, I suppose people's um, what people want in a night out has changed completely. Like I think New Year's Eve will always be uh, predominantly. So once it hits midnight on New Year's Eve in the in a town centre or city centre, it's predominantly going to be a younger crowd that are out they're they're out and enjoying themselves. Um, but you definitely see the you definitely see a change from the week uh, the midweek between Christmas and New Year's Eve and the week after. So even like the likes of Thursday night this week we have. The legend Luke Kelly playing upstairs in the bar on Friday night with a comedy club and Friday night sold out. Um, so people just get to spread this. Uh, they seem to spread their um, spread their nights out a little bit more over Christmas. I think even you know years ago it was a couple of quiet nights between Christmas and New Year's Eve for us. Um, but that's kind of all. It's just kind of gone into the one melting pot now as such. And you're oh, thankfully you're kind of busy most nights um, over the festive period. Yeah, caller says she went into Mullingar. Her husband stayed at home. He went to bed at 10.30, but the hotels and the pubs in Mullingar were full and the fireworks were amazing. So something to enjoy if you did go out, which is great. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, thanks and Hootenanny, and thanks for having us on there, Will. Uh, talk to you again soon, no Take care. Uh, That's Kieran White of Kiki Cabs in Mullingar, PJ Kavanagh of Kavanagh's Bar and Venue in Portlaoise. What did you do for New Year's? Was it a night in or was it a night out? In my case, it was a night in. Um, there were three adults in the house and three kids. And come 10 o'clock, the adults, all batteries were flat. But the kids, they had other ideas, suffice to say. Midlands Today, with the stories beyond the headlines. Midlands 103. Text or WhatsApp 083 30 10 103. Jackie in Mullingar, you got your COVID vaccine in September and then got COVID in November. So you're wondering, what was the point of the vaccine? And there are many people who report similar experiences. And I know on the other side, the medical profession, or some of them at least, may argue, well, you don't know what would have happened if you didn't have the vaccine. How severe would that infection have been? Anyway, you've heard the advice from the HSE, and now you can make up your own mind. Let's change gears completely. So... If you feel there is need for a playground in your community, how can you bring one into being? How complicated is the process to 
go through planning and get money and then tender and to see it become a reality. Well, this has been raised in County Leash by Labour Party candidate for the Greg Cullen Port Arlington area. Um, and indeed, this is going to be perhaps an election issue in several communities. But let's hear Owen Barry's perspective. Good morning, Owen. And thank you very much for taking our call today. Uh, let's talk about uh, Kileshen in County Leash, which is a community that many people listening may not know if they're not close to the area. Uh, describe how it's changed over the years. Yeah, so Kileshen is, um, I've recently, I've moved into it myself in, in 2018. I'm, I'm from Wolf Hill originally, but um, over the last, I'd say, maybe 10 or 15 years, there's been, there's been a huge amount of housing developments, like many, many areas, really. Um, and in Kileshen, there's been a, around 140 houses built um, in recent years. Uh, and one of the things that we found was there's, there's excellent sporting facilities in Clashen, the soccer pitch, the GA, there's a new school, all of those things are, are really excellent in the area. But one of the things that, that was lacking in the area is, uh, is a public playground that people can access. Um, so that was, that was one of the things we were looking at. And when, when you go in to look at it, um, you realise how difficult and, and complex uh, getting playgrounds is in Ireland. So often we have these communities fundraise. And then there's this cases of, of small grants that people can get put towards it. And it's quite a complex process. The one thing that we're looking for within the labour is to increase. Well, ideally what we would like is as part of the planning or as part of development that playgrounds will be provided in areas. But if that wasn't possible, what we'd look towards is increasing the grants so that the grants cover much more of the cost of a playground. Um, because when we looked at the grants, we got the figures from, from the government you're looking at, uh, I think it was 100,000 in leash, which won the highest in the country, actually, but it's 100,000 leash over the course of four or five years. But one, or, one playground alone can cost between up to up to 100,000, up to 200,000, depending on, on the kind of equipment that you put into it. Yeah, and I was going to ask, what about the site itself? Presumably the grant covers the equipment. It doesn't cover the purchase of the area, does it? Yeah, so generally that's uh, it, that's really a case-by-case basis. Um so what might happen is there might be a site available from the Leach County Council might have land available or sometimes the community itself will will, will find a site that's available, say part of the community, community centre or mm. part of one of the sporting grounds or there might be facilities. So often that's um, part of the process of getting people together to, to, to get a space for a playground. And there's, there's some really excellent playgrounds in Leach, you know, Strabley and Timahoe, um, there's some really excellent ones, but it's just the, the complexity of it. You know, first find the site, then doing the fundraising, then trying to get the grant, and the grant, you know, not quite covering it. So what we're looking really towards is is much more that as populations develop and all of the parties, including our own, have planned for more houses everywhere. Um, but as as we plan the houses, we should also be planning the facilities, including playgrounds, but also things like libraries and access to different different facilities for the communities. You know, but we would see that much more at an earlier process. Um, as the as place is being developed rather than, you know, people move in, they have small children, they realize, oh, well, we really need a playground here. And then, then they start the process of looking for it. By the time the things in place, the children have grown up. Um, so what we would see is much more as you're doing the houses, you would, you would do it. But I think in the meantime, we would need to see a much bigger grant. Um, yeah. And have the grants increased in line with inflation? Because many building materials have skyrocketed far beyond the consumer price index. Well, when I, uh, we got the stats that led up to 2022. So when we looked at those stats, what was what you would look for in leash is about the same figure each year. So there doesn't seem to be any. I don't have an absolute answer to that, but from what I from that we've seen, I don't see any increase in 
in, uh, in in line with inflation and certainly not in line with the building costs. As you know, the building costs in, our, in, in, in Ireland have gone skyrocketed in, those, in that time. So I don't think so, but I don't have a, a formal answer around mm. it. But the stats that we had certainly didn't show that kind of an increase. Um, certainly wouldn't cover the, the increase in inflation that we've, we've seen for people. So once a site is identified and if you fill out the grant application process, is it a given that planning permission comes with it or is that a separate piece of work? So that's a separate piece that's really, um, you know, part of planning, but uh, Leash County Council are quite good, as far as I'm aware, of the for every planning decision, but Leash County Council are quite good at approving planning for, for playgrounds. So, you know, you would have seen ones in, in different parts of the in county in recent times, one in Ballinakill there beside some food. So they're, they're quite good at the, the planning side of it. Um, really the biggest difficulty, I think, probably the biggest barrier in the, the fundraising side of it. Um, sites, generally speaking, most villages, people were, were able to, um, you know, identify a site between between public land or land from a community group. Um, but um, the fundraising side is that we're really focusing on at the moment. And really that kind of, what we'd like to really push is prior, how, how important playgrounds really are for child development, for, you know, for a social outlet for parents to meet other parents, especially when, when people have young children, it's often very difficult to meet. Um, so they're the kind of things that we're really um, pushing at the moment, part of our campaign. Yes, I hate to bring this up, but in especially when the, the spirit of a playground is to help the community. But some people are litigious. Some people genuinely become injured. And in such a situation, insurance is needed. So who is liable and who has to take the insurance? Um, it, it depends on the, the who's built the playground, as far as I'm aware. Now, it's, insurance is kind of an, another more complex area. It's a difficult one to get into today, but... I think um, insurance playgrounds, you know, support a leash county council and support a different uh, organisations really to cover those, that aspect of it. Um, and uh, of course, what we would say is there has been a move, I think in Germany, they brought in a rule which is very much about if somebody is at the risk and benefit of playgrounds, there's always this balance between the risk of somebody being injured on the playground and the benefit of having access to the playground. And Germany have really pushed the idea that actually the benefit is so far outweighs the risk that insurance should uh, take that into account, you know, so that basically that, that the value of the playground, you know, that young children have to explore things in a, in a, have to take a certain amount of controlled risk in life and that by taking that controlled risk, actually the benefit is far away. So we would, insurance is a massive issue for, for nearly everything in, in Ireland. It's kind of like GDPR, you know, people reference it, but of course, there's playgrounds all over the country, so it's, it's achievable, but um, what we would see is but it is probably an annual cost, so therefore a one-off grant, that's fine for installing equipment, but either you get a grant every year for insurance, either the local authority accepts the liability and covers its own public liability, extends its policy, um, yeah, or you just have to fundraise every single year and, and try yeah, and I foot think the bill. Yeah, the idea of uh, you know, fundraising for these kind of public services is probably... It's not sustainable long term. They're, they're, they're the problem with fundraising either for the playground or for the insurance for the playground. The problem with those that kind of fundraising is it's very difficult to keep it, keep the momentum on it, and it's also very difficult for um, you know it's very difficult to get a balanced development with that approach because say one area has the community groups and they have the the people in place that are willing to do it, and another one ten minutes away. Well, actually, there is no necessarily. It might not be a community centre. There might not be. Um, structures there for mm. fundraising 
and then do they lose out because of it? But the children benefit from the playground regardless. So we wouldn't see that model of annual fundraising or fundraising for the... Ideally, you would move away from that. I think being realistic, what we were first focused on is increasing the grants because the grants are very small, as as you can see. Is, uh, you know, the stats that we had there, Leash, Leash got 100,000 in four years, but uh, that, that one playground alone could cost that. Um, and that was, as I said, one of the higher ones, one of the higher counties in, in Ireland, really. So there's a lot, a lot of good has happened in Leash County Council and in Leash, really. Um, but we would see this as a kind of a national issue and much more central funding and less focus, less pressure on parents and families, you know, families with young kids. How much yeah. time have they got to trade uh, each year, you yeah, know? Exactly. But also there's a certain continuity if the local authority takes greater ownership because once somebody's children grow out of a playground, they may be less inclined to stay on that committee to fundraise every exactly. year. And communities go through phases where there are young children and then there are not. And you can't have a playground fall into disrepair in the meantime. So yeah. interesting issue. We'll see how it evolves over the uh, months ahead. And thank you very much for taking yeah, our call. Thanks for giving us the chance to talk about it. Yeah. Well, thank you. My pleasure. So that brings the programme to a close. By the way, that was Owen Barry. He is a Labour Party election candidate for the forthcoming local elections in the Greg Cullen, Port Arlington area of County Leash. Uh, that brings the programme to a close. And let's go through some of your messages just before we head for the hills. Uh, Will, New Year is for family. So for a wife to go out and leave her husband at home, oh, that's not very fair. It's also a sad time for me, Will, because I think of those who are not with us and uh, I cry at the idea, says this message. Will, we have a small playground in our area that is never maintained and so the equipment has become dangerous. The surface has become like a skate rink, such as the amount of green moss and algae growing on it. So it is an accident waiting to happen. The pity is it wouldn't take a lot to upgrade it and could be used for a lot of children in our area and surrounds. Well, I stayed in for New Year's, as always. I have a three-month baby and only myself and the wife to look after the baby. We had COVID over Christmas. Baby ended up in hospital. Oh, so that wasn't a very restful period at all for you. Sorry to hear that. Uh, Will, supermarkets are very expensive today. Why is that? Have they pushed up prices? Get ready for the bottle scheme and can scheme that we discussed earlier. I think that'll be one that'll add a lot of expense ahead of the deadline of introducing the return scheme on the 1st of February, 15 cent on aluminium cans and plastic bottles, 25 cent for bottles above 500 mils. Uh, given the amount of questions we had on that earlier, it is an issue we will hopefully come back to later in the week. Thanks to Claire O'Brien for putting it all together. Thank you for listening. Carl James comes next with the afternoon show. Enjoy your Tuesday. Bye-bye. Редактор